in between episode five. Thank you for 22 years in business. Here's six things that I have learned so far. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Here's some big news. Recently, I merged my marketing agency, Franklin Healthcom, with another marketing agency called Pinnacle Health Communications. We are in almost the same exact market niche. We merged together. Actually, what we did was we created a company called Aventria Health Group. And Aventria Health Group has two business entities, one of them being Franklin Healthcom and the other one being Pinnacle. Now, instead of being a solo, single owner, I have two partners, which is very exciting. And it's kind of a whole new journey that I am embarking on right now. But what I wanted to do is, as I reflected over my 22 years as a single owner of Franklin Healthcom, it occurred to me that, you know, I've learned a lot along the way. I mean, some lessons were easier than others, but I I definitely have accumulated some knowledge about what it takes to be an entrepreneur for 22 years and counting. I compiled a list. This list has six things on it, and I would not be so bold as to say that these things are the quintessential things, the only things, or maybe even the most important things. But these are the first things, the first lessons that I thought of as I was contemplating, what have I learned over the past 22 years? So here's the first thing. Your team is really all you have. At the end of the day, it all boils down to how good is your team? How good are your employees? And maybe this is the first thing that popped into my mind because there's so much jabber these days on the podcast and in books about how to string together this web of automated services and virtual assistants and Zapier integrations and, and, you know, cloud apps. You know, how, how do you string together all of these various things into some sort of system you know, you kind of don't want anybody to think about what they're doing. They just need to take widget A and stick the round peg in the round hole and, and move on. You know, you you can have a bunch of oompa loompas doing various tiny little steps in your process. That's ideal. I'm going to suggest that I suppose in theory that might be true. And I suppose if you're manufacturing some widget where there's no variation, that might be true. But I would also suggest that in my business, at least, and and probably most businesses where you're dealing with serving individual customers or, you know, even if that customer is a business, there's variability. There's lots of variability. I mean, there's a reason. I was listening to something the other day where they were talking about one way that workers strike or protest is to say, you know, the only thing that we're going to do is just follow the rules as they stand in the rule books. And, you know, all heck breaks loose because you need people to think. And the way that I always say it in my business is that, you know, processes are there to serve us. We don't serve our processes. And I say this for two reasons. Number one, because I could not get more upset than when someone comes in my office and says, 
oh, I did this really dumb thing because that was the process. And this is the kind of the trap that I think you get into when you think you're going to build this infallible process. I don't know that you can. I, I mean, I don't know how you would build a process with enough if-then statements to, to handle a, a customer, you know, every single kind of customer request. But the other aspect of this is that you don't want people coming in your office blaming the process for making a bad decision. They have to understand that they stand above the process, that they're accountable for their actions, and they can't point to a process <laughs> and say, oh, well, you know, I didn't do my job very well because there is this process. So the, f- the first lesson that I learned is that people are actually, at the end of the day, the most important, that a smart person will beat a smart process any day of the week. So it's very important that the people that you have understand that they're accountable for what they do, that they're responsible for what they do, and they need to have processes to help them do it better. Processes help create best practices. They help create standards. They help create workflows to enable cooperation amongst people. I mean, you can't have a bunch of loose cannons running around. That's certainly not what I'm saying. But at the same time, there's a balance that needs to be struck, and the human element cannot be underestimated. Lesson number two, and this was a tough one for me because I, I'm not necessarily one who runs around thinking I'm I'm all that all the time. But one thing that every entrepreneur, or every boss, or every leader I think has to learn at some point is that you're not anybody's colleague. I mean, especially if you're, you know, I was, a, a, I don't want to say a solopreneur because I've always had, or for 20 of those 22 years, I've had people working for me, but I'm no one's colleague. So you got to really watch what you say to people. You know, so I think if I tell somebody, oh, I don't think that's a very good idea, I could tell a colleague, well, maybe we should work on that idea. And nobody runs out of the room crying. But if you're a leader and you say things, you know, you express an opinion about something to someone, you've got a lot of role power that kind of comes behind what you're saying. And that is something definitely to pay attention to. And it's something that I I don't know that I've learned that lesson still. But it's really important as a leader to recognize that when you speak as a leader, your words carry more weight. They are heavier than if you were someone's peer. So you got to be a lot relatively more circumspect and watch what you say with that understanding. So the second thing that I have learned is to, as much as I can, because like I said, I think this is always a work in progress, to remember to think of myself as a leader and to structure my reactions and constructive criticism or even praise accordingly. Number three, lessons that I've learned as an entrepreneur. And, you know, honestly, this one, I've seen many entrepreneurs fail because they haven't quite figured this out. I think you have to be really comfortable making decisions with generally too little information. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're confronted by hundreds of decisions in any given day. And I'm probably not exaggerating by much. There's little decisions. There's big decisions. First of all, you have to decide what decisions you're not even going to make because you have to trust your team. So, you know, what decisions should not be on your plate at all? And I got to tell you, the other thing that I learned, (laughs) this was interesting. I grew up and a punishment 
in my family was my father saying, do you want me to make this decision for you or are you going to make it yourself? And the answer to that question was brutally obvious. Of course, I want to make this decision myself. Why would I put my fate in someone else's hands? That was a, that was a no brainer question. And it took me a long time to realize that for most people, actually, <laughs> they would choose the latter. They would far rather have someone else make a decision for them. And the reason for that, if you start thinking about it, and I have, trust me, is that if someone else makes a decision, you're not responsible for it. You're not accountable for it. It's actually far easier. And if the decision goes horribly wrong, you, can, you have somebody to point the finger at. So it's a lot easier to let somebody else make the decision for you. You know, one of the things that with this whole decision making is to really make sure that when you're working with the team that someone comes in your office or or sits around waiting for you to make a decision and and it's not a decision that you feel you should be making to ensure that your team is both empowered and also made sure that they know that these these decisions are ones that they have to make but if a decision does actually ladder up into your office and you need to make it I think the one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs don't quite realize that no decision or a decision made too late, like after too much time, is actually a decision and it might not be the right one. A well-considered decision, I'm not going to say necessarily the perfect decision with all the information, but a well-considered decision made fast or in a timely nature is always going to be better than a really well-researched, you know, the absolute right decision, which is like three days too late. <laughs> and this is kind of like brinksmanship for some people. You know, some people just don't feel comfortable waiting in and making a choice without having 15 spreadsheets and without total security that this choice that they're making is the 100% right one. And if that's the way that someone is, I don't know, they might not be the best person to be an entrepreneur because you never have enough information. I'm going to tell you, I, I mean, I, I say that and, and I, you know, I use the absolute never. I, you know, that's pretty much true. Like you never have enough information. And sometimes the decisions that you need to make are big ones. So, you know, you're, very often I'm faced making giant, you know, large choices that have big impact on a lot of things with, I'm going to say, 70% of the information that I would really want to have in order to make that decision. And you got to kind of have the self-confidence and, and the intuition and, you know, I don't know, maybe be a little over cocky or something. But you really have to trust yourself that what you're about to do is the right thing to do. If you don't have that confidence, I mean, you'll probably have a nervous breakdown. So number three is the ability to make decisions. Number four, and this you probably realize after about 10 years, <laughs> no one's going to compliment you and no one will validate your work. You know, the one thing about being the leader with nobody above you on the totem pole is that nobody gives you a review and tells you how well you're doing. Nobody says, you know, here's a couple things that you could improve on, but you're really good at this other stuff. You know, occasionally a client will, will congratulate the agency on the work and, and maybe you had a piece of it, you know, or, or your company on whatever you've done. And, and, and maybe you know that you are responsible for a part of it. But it's not like anyone pats you on the hand and says, well done by you. 
after a while, you know, it's it's something that you don't really notice for a while, but then all of a sudden you realize that you don't have any feedback. <laughs> and that missing feedback loop, I mean, not only does it sort of rob you of the that pleasure that you get when someone gives you a compliment, but it also enables bad habits, let me tell you, to fester. And you can become, a, you know, a, a child king <laughs> really easily because no one's going to tell the boss, you know, that's that's very petulant of you or that's a really annoying habit. Like no one's going to tell you that. So you do have the opportunity to, you know, go horribly off the rails. But also it can be kind of, uh, I don't want to say depressing, but it's definitely something to realize. Not only are you letting go of that, you know, when people say, oh, I'm going to get rid of my boss, what they tend to think of is, oh, I'm going to get rid of all the bad things. I'm going to get rid of this jerk who never takes my opinion or whatever. But at the same time, what you're also foregoing is the positives. As an entrepreneur, what you really need to do is find ways to validate yourself and find ways to compliment yourself and, and find ways to sit back and recognize your own accomplishments. Number five thing I've learned, and this is strictly coming from a female point of view, but if you're a woman entrepreneur, it's harder. It really is. And it's harder at a number of different levels. Actually, probably the easiest chauvinists to deal with are the ones that are blatant about it. There is a lot of sexism that happens or a lot of, I'm not even going to call it, I don't even know what to call it, a lot of opportunities that are not offered simply because you're a woman. And it could be that maybe you just don't look like a person that your you know customer feels like should be awarded this big piece of business. You just don't look like you know how they would envision the person that they're going to give the contract to. So I think it's a little bit like that. You know, it is true that men tend to be in places of power in in many businesses, and you know, people like people like themselves, and you're not wearing a suit and a tie. <laughs> You know, you've kind of got that to contend with. A lot of business gets done over golf or lunch or over beers. And, and you know, there, there are many things that a woman just is not going to get invited to. It's in those moments that people begin to trust each other and people say, oh, you know, we go way back. Well, what do you go way back doing? You probably it's probably way back doing guy stuff. Let me give you an example that actually really upset me. I was listening to a podcast, which I quite enjoy, actually. And the host is a entrepreneur. He's been in business for four or five years, but he came from corporate America. He was talking about, he did a show about what he does to make his marriage better. Generally speaking, his shows are about business, but this one he was talking about how he is intentional about his relationship with his wife. One of the things that he said during the podcast, one of the things that he does is he will not have a meeting. He will not have he will not share a meal, go out to lunch with a woman alone. So he will not have lunch with a female employee. He will not have a meeting alone with a female employee because he thinks that that is disrespectful to his wife. I have no insight into their marriage, nor do I want to have any insight into their marriage. But I can tell you, as a female employee, if my boss, if I'm trying to move up the corporate ladder or I'm an entrepreneur and I'm trying to sell something to him, to not be able to break bread with him puts me at a severe disadvantage to my male colleagues. 
And this is exactly what I'm talking about. How, as a woman, are, are you supposed to get a contract with a guy who refuses to go out to lunch with you to talk about the deal or insists that there's a chaperone? Like, you know, how do you have the kind of relationship that, you know, he's going to say, oh, we go back 15 years if he's never spent the moment with just the two of you chatting? This is the problem. I'm certainly not excusing it or condoning this. But so under absolutely no circumstances am I saying that this is in any shape or form OK. But as a woman, I see it happen. I see it happen a lot. It's something definitely to be aware of. And as women, we have to figure out how we're going to, you know, play the game in a way that works for us. And, and how are we going to overcome these challenges which have faced that definitely face us? You know, what are we going to do differently in order to make sure that we don't not get considered for these kind of opportunities and whatnot? And I don't really know the answer to that. If anybody else does, I would love to have a conversation with you. The other thing that you start to realize after being a woman in business for a long time is, is the perception, the immediate first reaction of people that you meet. And what I mean by that is if I go to a business meeting or a convention or, you know, someplace where I'm meeting other entrepreneurs and I'm sitting at the table, you know, you sit around those round tables and you start talking to the person next to you and, you know, they say, oh, well, what do you do? And if I say, oh, you know, I, um, I own a marketing agency. Their immediate next question is generally speaking something like, well, do you work on the kitchen table or the dining room table? You know, their immediate reaction assumes that I work out of the house, that I'm a solopreneur, that I have a computer like a laptop that I trot out onto the kitchen table after my husband leaves to go to work. And, and he's very gracious, you know, that he sort of supports my little hobby, which occasionally I make a couple of bucks, but the computer I have costs way more than I managed to bring in. And, and I would have to say that when I was younger, I mean, because I did start this business when I was in my 20s, it was kind of, you know, in some cases, it's a negotiating advantage if people don't think you're the owner. You know, like, take this into a business context. I would walk in and be talking to a purchasing agent or something. You know, my business is Franklin Healthcom. They would immediately assume that there is somebody named Franklin, you know, Mr. Franklin or somebody who is actually the owner of the company and that I was some sort of henchman of some kind. And I would have to say from a negotiating standpoint, that's fine. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I was like, nah, all right, I can roll with this because it's just like in a car dealership, the salesperson always has to go ask the manager for permission to do something. I mean, that's a negotiating tactic. So I would negotiate with a purchasing agent and be like, oh, I got to check Franklin, <laughs> see if we can do this deal. I would definitely take advantage of that. But the older you get, the more you start to realize that this is a problem, that this is actually these these kind of invisible aspects of, of sexism, that if a woman walks in the room, she's immediately not the boss. What that basically means that if you are a woman, you have to have a very commanding presence about you. And that's a little bit contradictory because everyone likes women to be kind and pleasant and, and whatnot. But I can tell you, as I'm coming off of 22 years, that if you're kind and too pleasant and also female, you will not get very much respect and you will not have a commanding presence. And it probably won't go so well. I don't know how to strike that balance. I, I really don't. But I do understand my number five lesson is if you're a woman, 
it's harder. Number six, this is kind of a good follow on to number five. As an entrepreneur who's leading an organization, you're responsible for the bottom line. Expect people are not always going to like you. I think people who have worked in companies and then go off to become an entrepreneur don't don't understand this sometimes. But if you're an employee of a company, especially if you're thinking about going off and becoming an entrepreneur, so you're not super invested in what you're doing, you don't really care what happens in that company. You know, you're kind of in third year. If one of your colleagues really messes up, you're kind of like, all right. Here's the thing. If you're an entrepreneur and one of your employees messes up, you're paying for that mistake out of your own pocket, literally. You know, I've had employees make mistakes and I'm shelling out tens of thousands of dollars to cover it, even if it's a really dumb mistake that they shouldn't have made. It's not like you can turn around and go, okay, employee, you messed that up. So I need you to pay $40,000 to reimburse the customer for that print job that messed up. I mean, you're paying for it. When you freak out about it, people aren't going to like you so much. I mean, there's going to be some conflict there because no matter how you cut it, you're going to have to sit down with that person and have a chat. It's probably not going to be super pleasant and they're probably not going to walk out of that room your best friend. Here's a couple of other circumstances to consider. As the the boss, there's a couple of things that really fall on your shoulders to do and they're really, really important. One of them is to make sure that your team is cooperating. And in order for people to cooperate, I mean, a lot of times you don't think about this, but in order for people to cooperate, you got to inconvenience. Somebody's got to inconvenience themselves at some level. For the team to perform at its highest level, I have to do something for one of my teammates, which is annoying for me. I have to do this so that the other person has what they need in order to do their part really well. Oftentimes it's this sort of delayed gratification, like I don't necessarily see the fruits of my inconveniencing myself on behalf of someone else. Or, you know, we were talking about processes before, maybe I need to add three extra steps to my process, which don't help me at all, but which contribute to the, you know, that they're the inputs that somebody else needs in order to do their part. It sounds very self-evident when I just sit here and say this, but in practice, I can't tell you how many times we've tried to, you know, install a process or get people to follow a process in those three steps that constantly get skipped or they don't enter, you know, people aren't entering things into a, you know, computer software that we need them to enter things into in order to really get the team to perform at its highest level so that you don't wind up holding the bag for a faulty customer product. But, you know, as a leader, you're the one that has to tell people, look, you got to do this and, or get them to own it. Or there's going to be people who don't like you for it. I'm not saying all the time. You'd hope not. But generally speaking, let's just put it on a continuum. <laughs> there's going to be some people who don't like you at all ever. And you should not, they should not be your employees. There's going to be some people who don't like you some of the time. And there's going to be some other people who really don't like you some of the time, but there's not going to be anybody ever who likes you all of the time. If you're one of those people, you know, either a people person, a people pleaser kind of person, or somebody who really hates conflict, this is going to be a problem. It really is. You know, like as an entrepreneur, you got to be really okay with making sure that you have the 
whatever the opposite of passive aggressive is <laughs> to walk up to somebody and be like, look, we got to do it this way. You have to be totally okay upsetting some people some of the time. The other thing that plays into this is creativity and vision is necessarily disruptive. And many people do not like disruptive. Furthermore, when you are creative or you are a visionary, you're sort of sticking a stake in the ground. You're saying, look, this is what I believe. I can't think of anything that someone believes where somebody else doesn't like it. I mean, maybe it's because this, it's the status quo and, and it's disruptive or maybe just they disagree. As an entrepreneur, one of the really the most important things is to be strategic. You know, they always say you got to work on the business, not in the business. Well, working on the business means being a visionary and being strategic. It means disrupting things. It means not letting people become complacent. It means switching up the processes, switching up the products, you know, moving things from here to there. And, and people aren't going to like it. They really aren't, you know, especially if you get people who are like, wow, we've been doing this for five years this way, 10 years this way. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. I mean, you get a lot of people who have a very vested interest in the whatever's going on right now, and they are not going to like it, like I said, if you shake it up. So as an entrepreneur, you know, lesson number six is there's going to be some people who don't like you some of the time. Move on. In summary, here are six things which I have learned in my 22 years running a, a business as an entrepreneur. I'm excited to find out what I'm going to learn in the next, hopefully not 22, but <laughs> next decade, let's say. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far, there are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.